This episode of Beyond is brought to you by Forhims.com. F-O-R-H-I-M-S.com. Do not underestimate the power of PlayStation. Beyond. 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 Welcome to Beyond. I'm Max Koval, and this week we're talking about Nathan Fillion's Uncharted fan film, God of War, Rune Hunt, and Red Dead Redemption 2. But first, as a reminder, Beyond has moved. You'll be able to watch every Wednesday at 3 p.m. on beyond.ign.com, which means you get the show first on IGN a full 24 hours before you'll see or hear us anywhere else. Now, it is time for the show. Uh, yes, so I said that I'm Max. This is Jared Petty. Hi! Uh, you might know Jared from formerly working at IGN, and now he's back, hanging around. I am back hanging around. Thank you for having me on Beyond. This is one of my favorite places in the whole wide world. You're one of my favorite people in the whole wide world, so I'm I'm happy you're here. It's a mutual Uh, admiration society. You've been doing a a podcast about Red Dead Redemption? Yeah. uh, And we figured we could talk a bit about that later on the show? I'm very excited about it. It'll be good. And then, of course, here's Brian Altano, who we all know very well. Yeah, I haven't been on the show in like six weeks, but it's good to be back. Yeah. I'm a big old man now, and a big time. You're just Daddy. taking a vacation for six weeks, right? Yeah. Just hanging out. A vacation where you get thrown up on every day yeah. by a newborn. Vacation. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some people are into that. That's fine. How's uh, your diapers? They're good. Yesterday yeah. I got puked on and then uh, went downstairs to meet the food delivery guy and didn't realize it was all there. And it did not look good. He gave me a face like, what do you do in your apartment all day? <laughs> yep. <laughs> the answer, well, sir, is that I vomit on myself. <laughs> and then, of course, Jonathan Dornbush. Vomit free since 2003. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's yeah. good or not. I don't know if that's like a healthy thing. I was 11. So. A little vomit is good once in a while. Nope. You were 11 in 2003? Yes. I hate you so yes. much. Yeah. Yeah, That's it creeps up on you. This I is what? 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 There's Barrett. Barrett says he was okay. eight. This Thanks, is Barrett. why we sacrifice the young in ancient days. I had a, a moment the other day after the, the big live beyond thing where I was hanging out with Barrett. And I was like, wait, how old are you, Barrett? And he goes, 23. And I just felt my skeleton like withering within my body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just old father time. Uh, so let's talk about uh, things that, speaking of things from, I don't know, 13, 18 years ago or whatever, uh, the Uncharted movie has never happened. It still hasn't happened. They've been talking about that forever. Uh, Written by Seth Rogen and starring Marky Mark uh-huh. and mm-hmm. also canceled. Right. Yes. yes. Uh, yeah, no, but uh, Nathan Fillion, who has been sort of campaigning to play Nathan Drake for a million years now, uh, just said screw it and made a fan film. Yeah, he teamed up with this director, um, Alan Ungar, who uh, will both he'll be on they'll both be on our Comic Con show. Actually, I yep. believe I can say that. Um, and uh, they put together this live action short film that is straight up Uncharted, or at least the closest we've gotten to a really good looking live action Uncharted type thing. And what differentiates this from other Uncharted films? One, it exists. Two, <laughs> Neil Druckmann endorsed it today by tweeting about it. Uh, which is more than we can say for the one that uh, apparently had said to have gotten his endorsement but never actually did. So this is the closest we'll get to a real Uncharted movie for now. It's about, I think it's like 15 minutes long or something. Yeah. And it's really gorgeous. So this is like a Dr. Horrible sing-along blog, but for like Uncharted. Yeah, and That's, Sully's in it. Okay, and Sully's in great. it. Beautiful. Stephen Lang is oh. Sully. Yeah, which, which is, like took me a crazy. second. Yeah. It took me, Stephen Lang has, he's I, I'm a man with like big bags under my eyes. He's got them like to like a creepy degree. Oh, mm-hmm. So it took me a minute to be like, oh, Sully's the... Uh, um, Turkey baster guy from that quiet movie. <laughs> like, yeah. but still, like, <laughs> sorry. 
It's good to be back. Yep. Um, but no, this 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 is really cool. It's free. You don't have to go. See, see it in a theater or anything like that. But yeah, Sully's driving a Jeep in it. He's yeah. got a cigar and his mustache and everything. I, yeah. Like I it's goddamn Uncharted. 100% assume someone showed like five minutes of Sully footage to Stephen Knight. I was like, <laughs> Dude, this voice. Nate, no. Yeah, pretty much. Does it have the? Does it have Vuvuzela? There in is it? very little Vuvuzela it's in this real, movie. Really, but I mean, really things titty. like this do occasionally take off. I mean, that's how Sin City happened. Really, is they just filmed like the opening scene, the one you see with Josh Hartnett. Yep. That was filmed. They did it out of pocket, and then somebody's like, "Oh yeah, we can make a movie out of that." Sure. Uh, I don't know if that's what he's going for right. here or not, but I, well, I could see it working. They mm-hmm. still have the like Sony is still producing an Uncharted movie with Tom Holland and right. Nathan Drake. So they're still focusing on like young Nathan God, Drake that's right. for theaters. But we could cut ahead and see old Nathan yeah. Drake and suddenly, and not that he's that old. I mean, Nathan Fillon is not an old man, but you could totally have forward, backward, and still have him show up as Nathan Drake. I actually like the idea of Fillon playing uh, the bad guy in the, in the main film, maybe lobbying for a different role here, uh, hmm. playing uh, playing the antagonist maybe, and still showing up in the film. Because they know it'd be good for, it, he plays nice with Hollywood, he plays nice with studios, yep. he's, he's beloved by all, this Definitely. is the kind of person you want in your movie, why not run with it well it's also kind of like you remember when when that like leaked deadpool test animation thing came out and then it kind of blew up and everybody was like oh this can be a quantifiable thing it felt like that helped the momentum into getting those movies being made which are now you know gigantic blockbusters um i feel like you're kind of right like this could be something that spearheads this movie into actually being made because i think for the longest time that first step was sort of like what does this look like? How does this feel? And these guys just did it. They just mm-hmm. proved that this is this is a feasible thing. Whether or not that can translate to two hours or 90 minutes, we'll see. But for 15, it totally works. So, uh, meanwhile, the Metal Gear Solid movie, which still isn't officially a thing, I don't think. Like, I don't think it's actually been greenlit. But mm-hmm. Jordan Vote roberts who did uh, Kong Skull Island, we actually had him on Up at Noon last week. Um, Super nice guy. Uh, he's just he's been tweeting out 31, uh, th- 31 days of Metal Gear Solid concept art yep. yeah. that I believe he's like he is teamed up with artists he's worked with and he's like, let's make concept art for this. And it's not like he's leaking it. It's more like, let's just build awareness of this thing. Yeah, he said it wasn't, like this is not concept art that was generated specifically for the film, but it is a lot of people I think that he's worked with in tandem with the film and its creation and everything. So you do get hints of what his world would look like in Metal Mm -hmm. Gear. Yeah, this guy is so groovy. I I never thought I wanted a Metal Gear movie, but after watching him do the honest trailer for Skull Island where he's tearing his own movie apart, it's yeah, that was really if you watch bad. that, it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. It's just adorable. And I'm like, no, this is the kind of self-referential appreciation that would work in a Metal Gear movie. I yeah. can see that, actually, yeah, now. Totally. So it um, sold me on it. Jordan was on Up at Noon last week talking to Max about all of this kind of stuff. So uh, go check that out if you haven't, because it's really fun. Yeah, I was asking, like, what are the best video game movies? And he was like, uh, uh, Brotherhood of the Wolf and uh, <laughs> Edge of Tomorrow. And I was like, those aren't video games. Like, I see where you're coming from. Yeah. Yeah. Snowpiercer. It's like, I, okay. Brotherhood of the Wolf is basically... It, it, there's moments in that movie that look exactly like Bloodborne and if you love Bloodborne as much as I do you've heard me yell about it on the show go check that out again it's one of those movies like Willow or the Ewok films that are impossible to track down like mm-hmm. you either have to pirate them or spend hundreds of dollars on them so I'll let you make that decision yourself I spent like 25 bucks to get a used a used DVD off Amazon of that and that's like <laughs> the only way you can get it legally which is infuriating and Edge of Tomorrow is hard to find because yeah. they changed the title four times yeah that's <laughs> a pretty weird thing so yeah anyway uh, yeah Hollywood it's that's a confusing industry. Um, so here's a fun fun story here. Somebody uh, made a PlayStation 4 controller mod, which aims to be the most powerful DualShock ever. Uh, this is, uh, I believe, an, like a military NASA engineer. An ex-NASA okay. engineer, Jake Midland. What? Yeah. yeah. So he's using like aircraft-grade aluminum in it, and it's the idea is that it's supposed to be able to make your controller 
vibrate 10 times more powerfully than a normal controller. Okay. Is this like the kind of thing where if you place it against your temple, you will die? Probably. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. that thing down sort of on the on the left side there, it's got like a jet like a jet propulsion like mm -hmm. flip switch, like one of those ones that if you're going to like launch nukes, like it's completely unnecessary. The funny thing is it works with a PS4 or an Xbox controller. Um it doesn't it doesn't actually like you just clip it in basically. It's like mm -hmm. entirely a peripheral. Uh, if you play res with it, you're immediately a father. <laughs> yeah. uh, it does have, yeah, it is an industrial grade uh, vibrator. That's a, okay. Yeah. Yep. That's very, very interesting. It's kind of like the uh, the really dirty version of those steering wheels you used to buy to clip to your Wiimote back in 2006. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's it just, is, it's not, it. it's not very ergonomic looking. Like I'll yeah. say that it's, there's definitely like the professional people are hired to design video game controllers, and this guy is bringing his own sensibilities into it. And it's definitely large. It almost looks like the Resident Evil Four chainsaw controller. So is this like <laughs> a case of like why did we climb the mountain? Because we're horny. Like is that it? Yes. I mean, okay. Yeah. That's, yeah. Or not, or what? Jeff Goldblum's whole <laughs> arc in Jurassic Park. All right. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. That's that's cool. I I'm I'm always fascinated with the sort of ebb and flow in. Our relationship, this is a weird sentence, to rumbling controllers in the video game industry because yeah. there was a minute there where Sony was shipping controllers in the PS3 era that didn't have them because they didn't have the patent at the time. And they were kind of just like, audiences don't care about rumble. Um, and to me, I think it's it's such an important part of the DualShock 4. Mm -hmm. uh, seeing how it works in the Nintendo Switch is fascinating. The HD I, Rumble. The HD yeah. Rumble, I think, is like, it's one of those things where it started off with, you know, we've seen it in some controllers before, but with the Rumble Pack of the N64, and then Sony adopting it in their own way, and everybody kind of doing it in their own way has been really cool to see. And it's, it's I think it should evolve with the PlayStation 5 in the same way every other part of the industry does, and all the other ways we interact with games. But it could just be a thing we give up on because it, you know, sometimes we care about it, sometimes we don't. So mm -hmm. I hope they take some of this guy's ideas and make it a little less, I don't know, boxy. I can't imagine a game like God of War without the rumble. Like oh my in God, throwing yeah. the axe, mm -hmm. if you didn't yeah. have that feedback in there. Yep. But I totally agree. I do think they need more evolution. I know Microsoft kind of tried it when they first introduced the Xbox One controller because I think on the triggers, the rumble sort of could go like up and down. Like it could be yeah. like that you, way. If you drove on like the shoulder and forward yeah. and feel yep. gravel. Yeah, that was like one of the. That's awesome. So yeah. do I have the wrong idea about this thing? I, I was just getting the impression that it's all about oomph. Like is this actually this about all, providing balance uh, on different parts of the this okay, just, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think right. this one is more focused on the. It's a, it's a Kickstarter project right now, so I mean things could change okay. in the development of it, but yeah. So Transfiber you know, 2.0. Yeah. That is right. a, a good question. Though. Like we we talk a lot about how the PS5 is gonna iterate on what's what's there, but like the controller is like I feel like with the four, they were like, all right, it's the DualShock 4 is a new, you know, new thing, whatever. Mm -hmm. and yeah, we got the touchpad, which didn't truly pan out to being anything other than a glorified giant button. So and I kind of yeah. hate that because I love that touchpad. I, Me too. I really think yeah. it's a neat piece of technology. So I'll, I'll put it this way, like at the very least, the touchpad not being used doesn't really mind, uh, doesn't really bother me because it's like aesthetically pleasing. Mm -hmm. It's just a big flat pa uh, panel. It's not like if they put a VMU in the middle of the screen that we didn't use or anything like that or mm -hmm. like, you know, there was something there that you just never touched it would be annoying because you'd be like, why is this here? It's not like having a connect under your TV. Sir, yeah. do not besmirch the noble name of the VMU. I mean, say whatever I want. I thought you were going to say, don't besmirch the connect. <laughs> oh, don't <laughs> besmirch the connect. No, we can besmirch the connect okay, all day gotcha. long. It was it was neat, but they never did much with it. I mean, I, I feel remember, like, the, like when we, when like PS4 was about to come out and it was like, I'd go to preview events for like kind of those cross generational games and there would be some element where they're like, I guess we should use the touchpad for this. And I do like a, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm here. I'm playing Assassin's Creed Black Flag. Uh, check it out. You can move the map around by touching this thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And they did that for maybe 20 minutes and then they just stopped. 
Yep. I, yeah. I just think about the Vita with Tearaway and, and having the back sensors and some of the neat ideas that were there. And I think there was more that could be done with it. But again, unless you're a first party exclusive, there's no reason to fool with right. it because yeah. you're not going to be able to implement it on the other two platforms. And that no. does create standardization is really, really cool until it's not. And the fact that we don't even like playing games that that diverge even a little from what we're used to and say like third person or first person shooter controls that we now have memorized, that's problematic. At well, some point yeah. we become yeah. grumpy old men. I, 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 I agree. I, and it's also, you know, um, with third parties, it's one thing because implementing sort of platform specific features and leaning into all the strengths and weaknesses of the platform is sometimes difficult for a company that's trying to ship 18 versions of a game, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but Sony has like an army dedicated studios in-house that are still actively all working together to ignore the touch panel. <laughs> so, <laughs> so maybe it's just not that great of a thing. But you're, yeah. you're right, Max, in that I would love to see... We, we keep thinking about PlayStation 5, like um, we're trying to find this balance between um, frame rate and resolution, right? That has been the big struggle this gen. If you have a pro, you're often prompted with that decision to make. You saw it with God of War. You know, do you want performance or do you want all this kind of stuff? Um, I think we'll reach a sensible place on the next platform mm -hmm. where that won't be a question we ask anymore. Everything will just work perfectly, but no one talks about how we're actually moving that character around the screen. Mm -hmm. And we think it's probably just going to be the DualShock 5, and what they can add to that is something we don't ever really think about or talk about. So I think you guys are right. Like that's that's it. That that would be a really big, awesome surprise. Like put, do one of those Reggie at E3 things. Where you just pull it out of the big flappy suit jacket, <laughs> oh, <laughs> and it's right here. There are I, stories about the reveal of the N64 controller. I wasn't there for this. Where apparently, like you had to put your hands in a box to play it uh, when they were first because they didn't want you to see what it looked like. And I do oh, know that Grand Arabella here at IGN had to run and take photographs of a Nintendo controller at one point. I think it was the GameCube Game controller. So we actually we, and when mold we had, one out of con uh, when play. we had Jordan vote Roberts on, he uh, apparently Jordan got drunk at E3 and cornered Fran, and he's like a longtime <laughs> IGN reader and was like. You played GameCube before you were supposed to, and Fran was like, "I don't know what you're talking about." <laughs> but apparently, he like he was g given a hands-on. It was a hands-off event, but he went hands-on with the controller, and then from memory recreated how the GameCube controller felt out of Sculpey. Yeah, and we have this sitting on the office. Yeah, it's but somewhere like, it's, over there. I, that's something so funny about that because again, we take like controllers sort of for granted. We're like, right. oh, it's, this is what it does. Well, it doesn't I, really. I feel like the biggest uh, revolution of the DualShock Four was the share button. Yes. Like that has completely yeah. changed how I think about when I'm playing a game. Of oh, did I get a cool clip or an image? Let me immediately share that. Like mm -hmm. that is so much more in tune with I think advancements to how we can experience games rather than the touchpad, which is a neat idea. But if enough people aren't taking advantage of it, shouldn't right. necessarily. Hold Hold no, I, I love that button. I wish it wasn't um, sort of symmetrical with with options. The, with the options button. Because yeah. I'm, I'm always yeah. sort of thinking to myself, like, I want to press select in this game, and mm -hmm. I end up hitting share instead. So I will say for every time I use that share button, there's 50 times where I hit it by accident, <laughs> thinking it's going to do something else. I always yeah. love when you go in your, your like library, and there's all these things that you captured by accident, and you're like, when was this? <laughs> <laughs> who did these? <laughs> like, wh who was playing my game? Like, it's so funny because it's it's almost like a like your iPhone camera where you're like, I didn't, I don't remember taking these photos last night. Yeah. Also, yeah. the the trophy capturing is pretty bad because it will normally take a photo of when you got the trophy when it's a black screen. Yep. like when it's transitioning. Yep. Yeah, they yep. haven't quite nailed that sharing. Yeah, down. I think all of that is they're they're ramping up to to something better with that stuff. So it's, cool. it's crazy that we're actually at that point in the PlayStation 4's timeline where we can like actually start significantly theorizing around this stuff because it's it's just a matter of time. We're probably I would I would imagine next E3 we start to really hear about what the system's going to be. 
That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do that whole that whole rodeo again. Yep. Um, we interrupt this program to bring you a brief message from Hims, a new wellness brand for men. Here's a not so fun fact: 66% of men lose their hair by age 35, and by the time you start to notice hair loss, it's usually too late. It's generally easier to keep the hair that you have than to replace the hair that you've lost. So why not do something about it? Forhims.com is a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, sexual wellness, and other stuff like that that might be embarrassing to deal with in person. Luckily with Hims, there's no waiting room, no awkward doctor's visits, and you can save plenty of time by just going to a website. Hims connects you with real doctors and gives you medical-grade solutions to treat hair loss and other possibly embarrassing problems. And this isn't snake oil pills or gas station counter supplements either. These are well-known generic equivalents to name-brand prescriptions to help you keep your hair. Thanks to science, baldness can be optional. If this sounds like it would help you out, order now. Our listeners get a trial month of hymns for just five bucks today, right now, while supplies last. See the website for full details, but this would cost hundreds of dollars if you went to the doctor or to a pharmacy. So just go to forhymns.com slash beyond. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash beyond. Once again, that's forhymns.com slash beyond. Thanks for listening, and now back to the show. All right, so God of War has been out for quite some time now. Uh, have you guys had that thing happen where you see like a screenshot of that game and you go, Holy shit, that was a good game. Absolutely. I saw yeah. um <laughs> yeah. I saw a gift tweeted out the other day that I was like, "Oh right. That was like groundbreaking. That was ridiculously fun." That's like it was it was him throwing the axe, retrieving it, picking up a guy in the air, slicing him in half in the air and putting him back down. I was just like, "Oh yeah, we did that." Yeah. <laughs> that was great. Was, was it the part where they're on the snowy ridge? And yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I've seen that. Same, yeah. yeah, it's the same clip. I was just like, "I love that part." Yeah. Yeah. The snow was awesome. That game that game like displays so well like it, you can take five seconds of it and just throw it out there and be like that is a gorgeous looking game yeah we're also we're at that point that i predicted a couple months ago where people are already kind of like i didn't like it and here's why i'm like all right yeah here no. they are but uh yeah friendly reminder if you're listening to this and you haven't played god of war you should really check it out because yes. it is a phenomenal a game, game. Uh, and people are still finding things in it little secrets um what's going on with this there were hidden runes yeah so everyone the, what's crazy is like the fan community around god of war has like continued to dive into this game because uh the sony santa monica team has imbued it with so many secrets and intentionally so like uh Corey Barlog has talked about it in interviews of how like they put these things in. Uh, they worked for like a year and a half on one secret in the game that people haven't found. Like mm -hmm. they seeded all these things into the game really deeply. And one of the like the big hunt right now is uh, Corey had talked about there is a final big secret in the game. It's not apparently big in terms of the lore or anything, but it is a it's spread out throughout the whole game. And people think it has to do with these. Uh, these red box runes, essentially what they're being called. So there are runes in the game so that runes are... runes you can rent Blu-rays from? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're surrounded by a red box, but they seem to be variations of runes that people know. So they're not explicitly like, this is the letter A, this is Q, whatever. Mm -hmm. So people are trying to figure out what those runes mean. And they've essentially... There are a couple competing hypotheses about what it may be, but one of them is that it has to do with the realm room and in terms of spinning around to the different realms uh, in a certain order, uh, because there's one rune on there that I think translates to, I wrote it down, uh, it translates to to open lock without a key. So a lot of people think there is a combination lock in that oh. room or possibly in another room that if you precisely do it, uh, it may open up something else. There's apparently like 
maybe a sub story in there. People think it may be the horns in the Valkyrie tombs. Like there are all these different competing. Oh, I love, I love stuff like that. Yeah. It's so cool. I've been working on a book about cheats in video games for a long time. I'm going to finish it someday. I think I got hooked on cheats after the graveyard duck in Castlevania turned out to be fake. And I I just got pulled into this, but the cheats are great in a couple of ways. One, they provide a fantastic creative incentive for people that are already working on a rich property to put a little extra into it, Mm -hmm. to imprint a little bit of themselves into the product to feel like they're getting away with something to be co-conspirators in a sequel but they're also great marketing especially deep secrets right because that means that every time a new secret's found that story resurfaces yep and suddenly the game that maybe nobody's played in a while pops back into the public consciousness and you sell some more copies i think that's great and that goes all the way back to the age of the magazine where sometimes secrets will be found months, even years later, and you'd go back and, oh, wow, you can go back and I didn't have this game or I traded it away. I'm going to buy another copy and finish that. But it's also happening here. That's rad. Yeah. My favorites like that have been like Batman Arkham. People found uh, secrets in that game like three years after it came out or two years after, which pointed to Arkham City. And no one found that room until maybe two months before that game was announced or came out. I forget exactly. They just found a secret in Mike Tyson's Punch-Out like two years ago. Which one? And that game was a 19... The guy in the background that's telegraphing one of the moves, there's a dude in the audience. Oh, yeah, yeah. He'll he'll let you know when to punch people. Yeah, and that nobody found that until for like 30 years. That's incredible. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I love that kind of stuff. I I think one of my favorite... inside betting, by the way. You can't do that. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I think one of my favorite uh, like cheats ever was in Heretic. Which was like, you know, kind of like fantasy doom, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you could turn into a chicken. Like you could play. Oh, as, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, right. And yep. you would run around the, the game is an entirely different perspective. And you had like a weird little first person beak and you could peck people. And like, I don't know how anyone found that. Mm-mm. Like I, this was back, you know, before the Internet. Like you had to like your friend had like a like a crappy note card with like mm-hmm. pencil, you know, pencil codes written on it. And you're like, hey, you just type this in and you become a chicken. You're like, oh, OK, why? How also? Like what? <laughs> Yeah, I think when when cheats were based on button inputs and especially on PC games like typing words or sentences in, that's just that blows my mind that people would just sit there for days on end and just type in different combinations of well, things. Well, my my guess about what usually actually happened is one of two things. One, the developers would leak it to somebody in in the press who would then get write a magazine article. Right, right, right. And suddenly, oh, it's been discovered. Well, it's been discovered because they very carefully made sure that it was discovered. Yeah. And the second, I think, was people fooling around inside code because you can look at pieces of old games. You can't. It's very difficult to look at something inside a compiled binary, but there's very often tangential files you can dig around in and find stuff like right, that. Right, right. I'm actually shocked that we, with everything with God of War, that we didn't see like what we saw with Tomb Raider, another revitalized 90s franchise effectively, where uh, there was like a low poly Kratos mode that you can unlock. That's like, that would be the best Easter egg in this game is to put that entire game with like just weird PS2 old school Kratos. PS2 Kratos. <laughs> I think that's probably my favorite like thing that you can, you, can I just cookie cutter that? You yeah. Know? Like I really loved it in, uh, in, Ground Zeroes and Phantom Pain, where you're like, oh, you're playing as like PS1 Snake, or you're, yep. and it's yep. there's something immediately very like disorienting about that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, seeing like PS2 Kratos running around in that environment would be surreal. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the thing. Like the entire world would still look exactly the same, and your son would too, and that would be super. <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah, but that'd be awesome. <laughs> I, I think that they've said that sort of this like final secret in the game though isn't something too revelatory or it won't like totally change the way you play the game. So I'm curious to see what it actually ends up being. Yeah, just the idea like. People were looking at these runes, and someone's like, "Oh, that looks like a Slavic rune. Hold on, let me find that." And just the idea of like the internet community coming together with all their.
their different knowledge bases being able to figure this out is so cool to watch. That's wonderful. Yeah. Um, all right. So moving on. Uh, placed, uh, was it, uh, <laughs> San Diego Comic-Con is next. It's this week? Later this, this week? week? I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. My brain is mush. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's going to be uh, an exclusive uh, Last of Us Part Two vinyl, uh, which is gorgeous. It's the I'm guessing it's the same, the same song that they played in the... In that trailer, trailer. Yeah. yeah, it's the trailer song and then the main theme by mm-hmm. uh, Gustavo Santanella. Yeah, so yeah there's that. Is, um, and Mondo's doing it, and they they make fantastic stuff. If yeah. you're not aware, I have the God of War vinyl. And it's beautiful, <laughs> lovely. Yeah, I did. The problem with like with game soundtracks most of the time is that with God of War, like what y- like you put on a record, you're like, mm, yeah, here's a nice like let's play this, and then it's just like. Whoa! Whoa! Like, you're like, what? Like, I feel like the Journey soundtrack I could put on the Journey, background. Journey, yeah. yeah. Like, maybe Last of Us. No, I put on the Smash Brothers soundtrack and tried to clean my house once, and it was just like, I think I broke two glasses. Yeah. <laughs> when, <laughs> when I'm depressed, I'll put on the Mr. Driller Drill Land soundtrack. Like, it's just like, this day is terrible. And then suddenly it's like, like choirs of children singing about Mr. Driller, <laughs> and I'm all happy. Like, what's, what's your favorite video game soundtrack? Killer Cuts. Ooh. I listen to Killer Cuts way more than anyone should in 2018. Right. Wow. That's got, yeah, that's just really, like, the, that was, I mean, that was, like, peak rare when they were, like, and it, that was also just a bunch of, like, it, it was 1995. Like, it was, the like, a wonderful time for British Electronica, and there was a bunch of dudes who were like, yeah, we're making this game about, like, werewolves and beating up the Predator, and there's a bunch, like, <laughs> there's an Iceman and <laughs> a dinosaur. Mm-hmm. Like, we need to have, like, a banging club soundtrack for this. Um, yeah, no, that, one's, that one's good. Available soon for the Ultra 64. That's true. <laughs> um, but, yeah, let's, let's look at the downloads. That's the thing we're good. We're gonna do. It's it is definitely late July. That's the kind of news the we're talking about it. here. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what kind of um, month it is. No, this is like totally like. Um, oh, it's always a nice reminder to be like, I wonder what's the hottest game of 2018. Oh, it's GTA Five. Still GTA Five. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and FIFA. Like yeah. it's just sort of the stuff that we're like, what? Who who's still playing these? And it's everybody. So Detroit was number five, and then God of War and The Last of Us were three and four respectively. The weird uh, thing to me that I want to note was that in terms of the free to play uh, list of games, mm-hmm. Fortnite was number two, yeah. and H one Z one Battle Royale is number one current mm-hmm. of last month. Almost as if people were a little upset about that whole cross-compatibility thing. Yeah. When else were to play? One yeah. of those games is a dead end on PlayStation. <laughs> like, I love Fortnite. I love PS4. That situation sucks. Yeah. Like, I've, it really does. I've moved over to playing on Switch just mm-hmm. because they, all my friends are playing. That's where... They yeah. waited too happened. long to fix it. They had yeah. a week, and they missed the window, and the damage control is going to be really, really hard. Well, I was talking about this on Nintendo Voice Chat last week. Um, I, I would love to play Fortnite on my big TV in you know in in the best looking graphics I can get on you know on through my PS4 Pro and stuff like that. Um, but I just leaned towards Switch because of that situation because I just felt like. I felt burned and like mm-hmm. I, you know, I didn't want to give, I didn't want to put any more money into one, into one platform. Cause the thing about Fortnite is it's also on my phone, yeah. my accounts there too. So I can, I can be, I don't know, waiting in line at the DMV and I can like level up my character and go back and that'll carry over to switch. But none of that happens with PS4. So. No, uh, for, Fortnite, uh, I think Sony unwittingly created, I, I don't think they necessarily set out to create it. They unwittingly created a situation where the game you can play anywhere became the game you can play anywhere except yeah. on our hardware. <laughs> yes, you could play it, but why would you choose to? So much of the appeal of Fortnite, I think, is the fact that it is the perfect children's game. It is free, mm-hmm. it runs on anything, and you play it with your friends. And you can dress as I a mean, bush, as children all over the I, land adore. But, but without <laughs> without being silly here, it's got all the virtues of Minecraft, except yep. you don't have to pay money for it, yep. and you can cross-play with all your... So every kid 
can find a way to play this game. It, like, not every kid, but many, many kids can find ways to play this game. Sure. They can play it on their computer. They can play it on a phone. They can play it on their Switch. They can play it. And Sony has locked themselves out of that ecosystem. Well, because this is a decision that you only make when you're a market leader. When you're in third place, you don't make decisions like this. But when you're in first place, you can get away with some shit like this, and people... You know, people don't give you a free pass, but like it's it's easier to do it because you're making so much money anyway. But it scares the heck out of me, Brian, because I, I love Sony, I love PlayStation. I wouldn't be sitting here if I didn't. Every generational jump mm -hmm. since the Nintendo Entertainment System in the late uh, late '80s, with one exception, has resulted in a change in market leadership. And every time, every yep. single time, it's been the leader dropping the ball, not yep. the other way around. Sega swooped in on Nintendo when Nintendo got Hubrick or remained Hubrick. Sony swooped in on Sega when Sega got Hubrick. Sony managed to make the jump from PS1 to PS2, but after that, they were vulnerable and they lost to Microsoft. Then Microsoft dropped the ball and Sony picked it back up, and now we are seeing the same mm -hmm. pattern play mm -hmm. out. Yeah. When do people learn? <laughs> I don't know. You learn from the mistakes of others. You know, like, why would you... <laughs> Like if you're if you're in first place, like you're there's nothing to like there's no there's no reason to go back to the drawing board. Ah. Sort of you're like this is fine. Um, I just feel like with with the way all these games are moving, they are they are all these platforms are coming closer together, which is unprecedented. If you grew yeah. up in the 80s and 90s talking about video games with people, the idea of you guys working together or playing against each other across platform was foreign. It was unheard of. Like we 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 fought wars over this shit. Mm -hmm. Companies were calling each other out in trailers, yeah. not coming together yeah. in a trailer. Yeah. Crash Bandicoot came out and he yelled in front of that building and, and now he's everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Now he Sick he sold man. best on Switch. Yeah. That is so weird <laughs> yep. still. I want him in Smash Brothers, and I want his taunt to be that megaphone. That needs to happen. That'd be pretty good. I'd really like for the next Crash game to just be, it's in like The Last of Us 2 engine, and you're just the photorealistic <laughs> man in that suit. And like the one you met at uh, E3 with the guy's yeah. face poking through the yeah. hole? That's a weird. Uh, yeah, I, I like. I, I do this thing where I'm like, I don't, I don't want to take pictures with like costumes or like mascots or celebrities, but then occasionally something breaks in my brain, and I'm like, oh, Crash Bandicoot. <laughs> and I'm like, I need to get a photo. <laughs> it's That's very, my type of booth, babe. It's really weird. Yeah. Uh, all right. So moving on. Um, Jared, we have you here because you do uh, Red Dead Radio. I do do Red Red Radio, the Red, Red Dead Redemption podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we are going to talk about uh, Red Dead Redemption two right now. There's nothing new about it. It's uh, <laughs> what are you talking about? There's so much new about it, just no news. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's been a quiet period for news. No particular surprise there. They dumped a lot on us, and then they went quiet after E3. We know when the game's coming out, so we're you know we know we're going to see more soon. But Rockstar likes to take their time with things like this. So what we focused on on the show recently is talking about the things we'd want to see from it, asking our fans what they'd want to see, and also there's so much metatextual around this game that you can discuss. It's the most cinematically inspired video game probably in history, uh, mm. along with GTA V. Uh, that's become very apparent from the trailers already. And when I say cinematic, I'm not talking about cutscenes. I'm talking about movies have made this game what it is. Right. Uh, it is a video game movie thing like yeah. kind of squished together. And even the, the trailers we've seen so far have been very filmic. You exactly. Say, and, you know? and they're definitely leaning into that. I just finished playing through Red Dead 1 again. And you... you pick it up even in that. It's been almost a decade. So we've been leaning a lot into those influences and how those might affect what the product ends up looking like and how they've affected what we've gotten before. Mm -hmm. Well, I love it. Um, we've got a question here from Sam Gross. What do you think Hope is going to be the biggest improvement feature in the game compared to the previous entry? 
that's such a that's such a wonderful question because you look at like the last huge thing that uh, you know Rockstar did was GTA Five, which was iterated very heavily on the guts of Red Dead Redemption. But like the first Red Dead Redemption, incredible as it is, has like that was a while ago. Mm-hmm. That is that is this is going to be leaps and bounds beyond that. It's going to oh, yeah. be such an incredibly different thing. So I figured, I mean, really anything you know like they're not gonna they're not gonna put out like this little measly like oh here's the sequel to that ps3 game you know? no, I mean, no this game is the sequel to gta 5 this right. game is not the sequel to red dead and that or, or it is at least as much yeah yeah um i want the i want the aiming to feel perfect not like it hasn't before um i think the i think rockstar games specifically get better and better with that every mm-hmm. single time but i just want it to click perfectly like that's the difference between a game i play for 20 hours and a game i play for 200 hours mm-hmm. is is a game where i pick up a gun i aim it at something and it just feels absolutely perfect because that's an action you're going to be doing thousands of times when you play this game and so that's that's got to that's got to be spot on one from what we've seen so far and it's sort of my hope we hear developers talk all the time about how like it, this game is so realistic. All yep. the characters act like real humans. If there's ever a game that I believed could like succeed on that promise, it would be this game. And just the teases of what they've shown, the previews that we've seen of it and heard um, from people who've seen more of it, I just... I want this world to feel like a world I can live in, mm-hmm. and, truly, and it seems like they're getting there. And obviously, that I what that requires under the hood, I can't imagine. I don't know how to program games, but just there's a level where you get immersed in a game, and I I want that from this world. I like the idea that they push the boundaries of how open work gaming is interpreted, yeah. uh, changing the language around that. Uh, I I'm very interested to see if they succeed in that. Right. I think that they have a better chance than anyone ever has. We have these these ideas. It's kind of like we were talking earlier about controllers and how we understand control schemes. We pick up a first-person shooter, and we start playing. And if it doesn't function the way we expect, we get mad and throw it down because that's not something I'm familiar with. Right. We have that kind of psychology built around what we expect from open-world games. People with exclamation points over their head and main quests and side quests and staples and tropes. How do you break that without scaring people off? I think that you call the game Red Dead Redemption 2 um, (laughs) and you go, this is the most beautiful thing you've ever seen and also you're a cowboy and also there's free online and also everything else we've ever done is pretty darn awesome, so trust us. You're also, you're building a a world that is, uh, you know, in some ways more sprawling and massive than a GTA game, but also in terms of like uh, significant interactions you have moment to moment, it's just less dense, you know. Like there'll be towns, there'll be populations, but you're not walking around. I mean, like I'm, I've lived in I've lived in major cities for most of my adult life, you know. And I lived in New York, and I live in San Francisco, and I visit I visit all the other ones. Um, there's there's moments when you're playing GTA where you're like, this feels like Times Square, this feels like LA, that clicks, you know. Um, but with this, this is this is so far into a lot of people, this much space, this era, you know. No one you know lived through it. <laughs> Yeah. Most of the people who lived during it lived to 33 and then they died of like <laughs> wind disease or whatever. Um, so this is a different situation. So I think they have the capacity to be a little more sparse here. Uh, but that said, what's there needs to be ramped up a lot more. You and, know? I think, and I think they'll lean into that. I mean, the fact is, is that it may be possible to engineer a game where you're not trying to trigger the rest, the end of the quest line. Rather, you're like, oh, that part of the story is over. Right. That can be done, I believe, and I think that's what they're going for. Um, Mm -hmm. How? I think it means stripping away some of the ugly skeleton that we're just used to seeing but that's invisible to us. Like, we we know it's there. You take it away, we'll immediately notice. Mm -hmm. But give me two or three missions that just sort of, I hate to use this word, organically finish and feel right, and I don't even realize I was going through them. 
And I'll just be like, whoa. All right, the, I, I I could get used to this. The right, thing that, right. and this is this is also hard to say because we haven't seen much of the game in action. Uh, but based on like what John Ryan wrote mm-hmm. in his preview when he went and saw it, um, Red Dead and Cyberpunk both seems like that they are they are breaking. They're finding yeah they're finding that skeleton and they're ripping it out, or they're finding those those little boundaries and things that we. It doesn't mean that they're they're broken or that they're there's anything wrong with them, but to allow for like to. I mean, I think like in the case of in the case of like Cyberpunk, the fact that you are you are still doing like in-game menu things, but it's interacting with a on-screen menu in the world. Like there's no there's no there's nothing happening between the game world and your world that's like breaking that fourth wall. Right. In the case of Red Dead, I think they you know John Ryan talked about like when you're walking around, you interact with characters while you're still walking around. You know, it's not like you it's not like in the, you know, the Skyrim scenario where you go up to talk to somebody and it the camera zooms in and suddenly you go from like interacting with the world to interacting with a conversation. Yes. Yeah. Uh, like it's it's blurring the line between the systems and the and the the world that you're you're playing with. But like mm-hmm. I love the idea of just of being like and also not knowing which characters are part of quests and which are just well, that's you mentioned cyberpunk, and I think you made a very important comparison there. Uh, one of the reasons that video games, especially open world video games, are designed the way they are is because people want to make sure we see all the assets they created. Because yeah. assets are expensive. Yeah, making long games is extremely expensive. So if you spent money making it, you want the player to enjoy it to feel like they got their money out of it. Yeah, I, I had I had a, like real quick. I had an yeah. anecdote about that back. Uh, I was on an episode of. Beyond a long time ago, right after Greg Miller had um, reviewed Uncharted Three, and uh, somebody had written in and said something along the lines of like, "Why can't you like that part where Nathan Drake's in the plane? Why can't you just jump out and like land somewhere down there and go on your own adventure?" And I was kind of like, "Well, because like one out of a thousand people would do that, and they would work on all of the stuff that you would never see." And I think there's a, a fraction of that in an open world game, but they also know that you're 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 being kind of prodded to to poke around every inch of it, to look around everywhere. Right. So Rockstar's had a very long time and a lot of money and a lot of patience yep. and a design philosophy, an artistic design philosophy that all feeds into doing something like that. But CD Projekt Red already did it with Witcher 2, mm-hmm. which is not a huge open world game, but hides like 40% of that game you will never see unless you play it twice. Yep. I mean, they hide a ton of that game behind the curtain. And that is like, That's part of what makes it so memorable. As a developer, that is such a huge leap of faith. Yeah. Yes. Because mm-hmm. it's like... We are producing something of high enough quality that people will want to re-experience it. We believe in ourselves that much. Whereas I feel like the marketing mentality is uh, use all parts of the buffalo and show everything. Well, it's also that if all four of us play the same game and we all drive a different path through it, Jonathan might love the game a lot more than I do because the version of it that I fed myself unknowingly was, you know, in some way of less quality or connected with me less than the one you played. And, like, that's... That's crazy. That's very different than something like, you know, God of War, which is, you know, uh, effectively not necessarily on rails, but is all all sort of driving towards the same point. There's enough wiggle room to meander in that game, should you choose, which you should because it's it's fantastic. Uh, but for many of us, I think a lot of people just kind of sat down and went right through that game. And so with a game like this, it's very different. Well, that's, yeah, when I joked earlier that the way you do it is call it Red Dead Redemption 2. and mm-hmm. The point I, I was actually trying to make there ties right into what you're saying. Um, Rockstar understands the kind of games they make. Yeah. They make water cooler games. 
They make games that people talk about on Reddit and at work and with their friends. They make games where we tell stories about our experiences. Uh, Chris Kohler loves to point out that Rockstar makes storytelling games in the sense of, hey, I did this. It happened to me. We hear that. We want to go back. Combine that with a game that is almost certainly going to have a free online component with mm. constant updates that keep us going back, which means we go back to the single player and pay, play as well and play it different ways. They trust that we're going to find this stuff. Yeah. They yeah. trust us. And so when you were talking before about how sort of cheat codes kind of work as advertising campaigns yeah. for games to give them a second life and a third life and a bump and stuff like that, uh, to me, um, nothing sells me on GTA or has sold me on GTA like an animated GIF of that game running. You could spend $10 million on, a, on an ad campaign, bring in, you know, like all these like high-end voice actors, get a music, get a licensed song, cut together a beautiful trailer. But when I go on Reddit and I see like, you know, like a guy slide down the, the, the thing of a fire truck and start <laughs> shooting four cops and then a building blows up or something like that, I'm like, I'm sold on this game. And so that's actually, we talk a lot about the storytelling in Red Dead and how that will work interacting with characters. But my favorite parts of the storytelling in GTA don't involve you at all. It's when you just stand there on a street corner and a car hits a guy and an ambulance comes and the ambulance hits a car and the guy gets out of the car and starts shooting at the ambulance and then the cops show up and you're just standing there like, holy shit. <laughs> like all of this just happened and it's like pure chaos and it's something you don't, you see microcosmic versions of it in the city you live in, you know, never to this degree, I hope. <laughs> but that's the kind of stuff I want to see in this game. You know, I want to see a guy cross a road and he pisses off a dog that bites him. And then marauders come out and a horse runs across the street and it hits a barn and the barn goes on fire and blah, 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 blah. Boy, I'm that's from North the Carolina. This sounds like a Saturday night. That's, a Saturday night. <laughs> exactly. that's the kind of storytelling. What's well, the kind of storytelling I want to see? Like we, we had a thing in San Francisco a couple of days ago where people were protesting the Google buses. Um, and so they took all of these app controlled scooters from the sidewalk and they put them in front of the buses because they were pissed off that they were trying to pass a rule where you can't let homeless people sit on the street. Street, but they will let the app-controlled scooters. San Francisco is a liberal dystopia. Well, <laughs> Amen. But that is the kind of real-time storytelling that you would get in a Rockstar game. And yeah. so I want the cowboy version of that. I'm so excited about yeah. just the, the the nature side of it. Um, mm -hmm. Like there is such a just obscene dedication to like, it's easy to look at the, uh, the Red Dead trailer and be like, this is pretty. Yeah. Uh, this is like, there, there's an ecosystem here, yeah, and like yeah. the amount of detail they've got for all the all the trees and plants and stuff, and we see these herds of buffalo, and like the fact that there's probably more time spent on like buffalo AI in this game <laughs> than enemy AI has in most other games. Like, mm -hmm. there's going to be like weird, just nuances. Like, we see like vultures like picking at carrion, like right, and that's like yeah. if you think about stuff like Far Cry, like your favorite parts of those games are again that happening. That's sort of like. Not just when like the hawk comes in and it feels scripted, but when you're standing there and like a, a a bobcat runs out and he starts fighting a tiger or whatever whatever it is you're <laughs> playing, and one of them catches on fire, or you throw a grenade at something and fire goes across the field and like an elephant stampede goes by, or all of those yeah. wonderful <laughs> moments. And I'm so curious to see how Red Dead Two and Red Dead Online make that ecosystem actually matter and how you affect it. Yes. Because there is, to a certain extent, it is cool to see those things in Far Cry, but there is 
somewhat of a templatation to it of like there are so many permutations that can happen yeah and y you can create an instance but that doesn't necessarily change the entire game and rockstar to me seems like the type of developer where like how does me hunting down a bunch of buffalo change the game if they're, I take ex out a they're extinct yeah we killed well, them all well, oh, i'm yeah. curious to see and you bring that. up red dead online that's a whole other can of worms yeah. we've all been talking about the single player right oh my gosh there's we, so much there as well we talk constantly about how every it feels like every other developer is competing with Rockstar this fall. And then you guys tell me the story about how the most downloaded game in June was GTA V. And you're like, you guys are, you're basically fighting themselves this year. Like, it's kind of insane because if you look at something like Activision, every year their investors are like, what do you got for us? Nintendo had a weak E3 showing with only two games, you know, two of their biggest games. Their stock dropped 7%. People go like, oh, what's happening here? You guys are dropping the ball. I don't understand where the investors on Rockstar would come in and go like, what do you have for us next? Because essentially they don't even need to make a game like this. So if they have an online component like GTA Online that's mm -hmm. that popular, they're basically fighting themselves. And so you're going to have to find something not only in that to keep you playing GTA Online, but also to make you want to play this as well. So that's I, that's what makes me think they're going to have a common currency between mm. the two. I that's think. really smart. Yeah, I think they're. I hadn't even currency. thought of that. That's a great idea. Yeah, I think they will. Because you don't want to take that audience away from GTA Online when it's clearly doing still so well. And that makes me also wonder how on like a gameplay level will be different so that you don't get satisfied in the same way of playing Red Dead Online. Like I'm sure there will be heists of a type and everything, right. but mm -hmm. you don't want to just have heists from there and GTA Online heists and have that be the same experience. No. Yeah, I mean, ideally they're not envisioning a great migration from one from one's yeah. sort of uh, universe to the next. Um, there's a reason to keep playing both because I know with GTA Online... There's no reason for them to stop populating that with interesting content constantly. They are to this day they're constantly adding new stuff. Yeah. Every time you look up and look at that game, it's different. Yeah. They've added new vehicles. They've added new weapons. They've added new characters. They've added Hot Wheels cars in the sky. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's this. I mean, they put a Smuggler's Run game in there. Like yeah. it's just insane. And that's what makes it so exciting and compelling to, to think about what they think about this. They've been having meetings about GTA Online for years now. They've been planning new features. How many of those meetings have been? What a great idea. It's so good. Let's save it for Red Dawn Online. Yeah. How What's, many things? What is have the they horse been, version? Yeah. Of this <laughs> how many things? But how many? Not just horse version, but how many just things that are high profile that they yep. could have done in GTA Five? They've been holding back. And then you think about the potential. The fact this game has the Undead Nightmare legacy. If yeah. there are not vampires and werewolves and, and ghost yeah. riders in the sky online, like if that's not the world they lean into, or robots and Westworldly stuff, I'd be shocked. If that doesn't all come flooding into that online space, because that was always kind of weird alternate universe stuff uh -huh. in in the DLC, it was just like, oh, this is all happening over here. But now you can reuse those assets and have constantly updated events and content around right. it, and continue to. So I, I really do think Under Nightmare will be an online component. We talked about Far Cry 5's DLC and the sort of tonal disconnect with that appearing alongside the kind of campy, goofy, occasionally very grim and sadistic main campaign. But I think with the online stuff here, it is this massive, stupid sandbox of fun, cool shit that you can just throw in there constantly and just go like, yes, we do have robots this time. Yes, we do have vampires and we have zombie horses, yeah, I mean, undead donkeys. I, I will level up to level 50 so I can be a vampire. I'm going to do that. Mm -hmm. You say you can be a vampire. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if I turn into a werewolf every in-game full moon, okay. You know, that's, <laughs> I'm in. 
I'll show up every in-game full moon. In-game full moon. That I, people I love this idea. <laughs> I love it. Uh, now, Jared, you touched on the fact that uh, Red Dead is very, very filmic, which I love. Uh, I figured we could talk about some Western fiction that you can check out before Red Dead 2 comes out. This is, of course, my favorite thing in the universe of recommending other uh, tangentially related popular cultures. So let's all do that. We've all got some selections here. Jared? All right. Well, I, I grabbed a bunch, uh, and I don't yeah, want to overdo You went kind of nuts here. <laughs> I did go a little nuts, so I'll trim it down a bit. Uh, a couple of books to start, because you How always want to start with those you. books. Yeah. Son of the Morning Star, uh, which is probably the best book about Western history ever written. Uh, it's about, nominally, it's about Custer's Last Stand. Really, it's about the West and is the best introduction to Red Dead I can think of. Uh, it really encapsulates so many, so many of the missions of Red Dead seem to have obviously been written by somebody who read Son of the Morning Star mm -hmm. and understood, understood the West in that regard. Um, Lonesome Dove, best novel about the West I've ever read. Uh, that's a really great read. And at a mere 850 pages or so, it's a quick page turner. <laughs> um, one of the, my favorite American novel, uh, Lonesome Dove. Uh, really? I, yeah, absolutely. I, it won the Pulitzer. I mean, it's it's not just, it had a bunch of terrible sequels, but the book itself is, is amazing. And then uh, a few films that that pop up. Um, I just rewatched Bush Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Mm -hmm. um, for all its flaws, that movie really ties into the idea of the outlaw gang dying off and being in constant pursuit. This is going to be a game about the outlaw gang dying off and right. being constantly mm -hmm. pursued. Uh, the end of this movie is the end of Red Dead Redemption 1, uh, but mm -hmm. I think they're going to pull a lot more from this, again, because thematically it's so similar to The Wild Bunch for the same reason, uh, which which also feels into that feeds into that mythos. Unforgiven? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You got to, that's just quintessential. Mm -hmm. And uh, so much of Clint Eastwood's character and Jack Marston's character are, are similar in that regard, but you're going to see other, again, it's about a gang that's kind of at the end of the rope, uh, and literally at the end of the rope. Silverado, uh, because that's the most adventuresome modern Western. Uh, that That is a big, hey, here's the group getting together, and then we're going to sweep in. It's almost too optimistic for Red Dead, but Rockstar, if you go back to Red Dead, it's not nearly as cynical as GTA V. Right. And so they, do, they really do pull from a more mythic, epic feel, and I feel like it's a good primer for this kind of thing. Um, I'm talking a lot. You're good. The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, my mm -hmm. favorite Western. Uh, it is an older movie. Don't turn it off because it's black and white and because John Wayne's in it. It is a deconstruction of the Western mythos. It looks like it's going to be a stereotypical Western. And then you get about two-thirds of the way through and realize you're watching the most brilliant anti-Western, anti-idea of heroism movie I think I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. And it feeds very into Red Dead, uh, the, this idea of a grounded reality. Um, Firefly? It's not a Western. It's about space people. Whatever. There's so many Western. things that are, you know, it's a space <laughs> Western. It is. And again, it's about a gang, uh, a lovable gang of people constantly being chased. Yep. Um, lovable gang of people. And and uh, I, I like it a lot. Uh, the West, the documentary series on Netflix. Is that uh, Ken Burns? It is produced by Ken Burns. Okay. It's actually done by Stephen Ives. Um, okay. But it feels like a Ken Burns documentary. It's a nine-part series. And it's great from beginning to end. Even if you don't like documentaries, you may want to give it a try. I had this thing happen to me mostly with reading where at a certain age I, I've always sort of been like, oh, I should read fiction. Fiction is fun. It's entertaining. And at some point I was like, wait, no, I want nonfiction. Like I process it differently. It's somehow like it's harder for me to suspend disbelief and like get lost in a novel. But if I'm like consuming information that's, uh, I don't know, if there's some kind of like educational aspect to it. I'm like, oh, yes, this is very good. And, you know, obviously there's, there's plenty of stuff for, for Westerns for that because it, it happened. 
Um, Jonathan, you have one here. Uh, yeah, I'd, most of mine would have overlapped with Jared, so I kind of mm-hmm. left mine pretty light. Uh, the Wild Bunch was a movie just to mention. Like, I saw that in film school. I was like forced to watch it in a class. I'd never seen it before, and I've watched it like a dozen times since. That movie is fantastic, and yeah. I think absolutely worth watching. Before Red Dead 2, for me, it would be Deadwood mm. from HBO. Mm-hmm. Um, that sort of of like the classic era uh, HBO when it was that, The Sopranos, The Wire. Like right. This is one of those shows that's up there. Uh, I think for me, what is interesting about it, I kind of want to rewatch it now, especially in light of what Red Dead 2 can be and Red Dead Online can be of just seeing an ecosystem mm-hmm. in this sort of setting act and all the different types of characters that can be there, the uh, struggles between them all. I, it's a fantastic show. This entire series is on Amazon Prime, by the way. Yeah. Uh, for yeah. those of if, you, because they have the thing where HBO, HBO stuff, when it lapses a certain amount of time, it's it's free there. So yeah, so if you don't have Goer now. Yep. It's also, like, Deadwood, um, I actually haven't seen any of this, but, like, I know that one of the big things was that it's very uh, very real. It's very, like, lewd and yeah. full of all sorts of filthy stuff, which, surprisingly, for being about a you know, era of lawlessness and uh, horribleness, like... Uh, yeah, hey, there's an IGN quote right there. Um, it's uh, there's a lot of very very family friendly westerns. Yeah, like, there's a lot of very wholesome kind of like 1950s like cowboy nonsense, you know, and that's kind of strange because it's a like a very dark period in, in American history. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, my recommendations: um, Blood Meridian uh, by Cormac McCarthy. Uh, Cormac McCarthy did No Country for Old Men, uh, a bunch of other, which is I guess sort of a modern western. Uh, Blood Meridian is very much about like just the lawlessness of the West. And it's like, uh, I think it's a, I forget exactly what happens. I think it's like a kid who's like basically deserts the civil war as it's kind of petering out and coming to an end. And he's just, it's just this, it's just like a tour through just the horrors of the West. And it's just, it's just nightmarish. Uh, on the exact opposite end of the spectrum, uh, there is a French comic called blueberry. That's about a cowboy. (laughs) Uh, and it's illustrated by Mobius who later went on to be, uh, one of the most influential illustrators, comics mm-hmm. artists ever, but it was like, it's funny because it's, uh, you know, a very American subject as seen through the eyes of French artists and writers. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's this kind of like grooviness to it. Um, and then an album uh, by Godspeed You Black Emperor uh, called F Sharp, A Sharp, Infinity. It's hard to type that out. It's a bunch of weird symbols and stuff. That's hashtag that, A hashtag. Yeah, <laughs> that's that Atlas RPG on Wii U, right? Yes. Exactly, so, yeah. That's what I thought. Two and a half uh, days. <laughs> dream drop distance. Um <laughs> No, that's this is a wonderfully weird sort of ambient, very Western informed album. Great to yep. listen to. Uh, it's like dark as hell. There's like a line in there about like it's just this kind of dude sort of narrating it with a bunch of weird train whistles and stuff in the background. There's a line in there about like I open up my wallet and it was full of blood. And you're like, what? Yeah. What are you? What are you on about here? Oh, there's uh, some great insults. In um, stuff. I want to recommend uh, Yodorowsky's El Topo. It's, oh, yes. it's by far my favorite western. It was the inspiration for the um, Suda Five One game Killer Seven. It's effectively telling a story of a guy who wants to find someone in a desert and realizes the only way to do that is to walk in a spiral. And along that way, he has boss fights. So it's basically a fantastic video game movie. And every one of those boss fights is completely insane and over the top versus very freakish people. Um, and it's it's very cowboy but also super deranged. Uh, total opposite end of the spectrum of that is obviously uh, Mel Brooks's Blazing Saddles, which is the funniest Western ever made. Um, it's vaguely racist, if not very racist, but it's also really funny at times um, and gets into that whole sort of Wild West prop town effect. Um, and it just has a, a bunch of really wonderful ridiculous characters in it Sweet. and uh barrett who's producing he's back in the he's back in the room over there he said logan i'm pushing it here at but the tone of this movie really has a desolate feel to i think that might also be a major tone for red dead too he's totally right yeah no logan is definitely a western yeah oh yeah um 
Apparently the especially uh, the first third of it. Yeah. yeah. Apparently the uh, the people who who did it was a James James Mangold. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been loosely attached to a Boba Fett solo movie. Mm-hmm. And fun fact, Boba Fett was inspired by Clint Eastwood and Man with No Name. So getting this person who can reinvent Wolverine as a Western hero is a pretty good fit for a space bounty hunter. So and speaking of solo movies, Solo was yeah. kind of a Western in its own way too. So hey, there's a train heist that'll probably yeah. be on Blu-ray like in a day. Sweet. <laughs> um, let's do some questions real quick. Ben Gregson says, "Do you name your horses when you play Red Dead? And if so, what sorts of names?" Absolutely. Absolutely. What's a what's a horse name? Blue. Oh, that's all. Oh, what's wrong with you, Jared? Oh. Brian, what's you're a horse enthusiast. <laughs> what what kind of things would you name a horse? Um, when I was younger, I used to just name them all Epona because I was you know creatively bankrupt. But nowadays, I'll I'll give them like really stupid names like um, Get Your Motor Running or like Mr. Buckles, <laughs> Uncle Nay. That's not better. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not better. You should have stuck with Epona. <sighs> So this is this is a weird anecdote, not to catch you up, but there's a there's in my parents' garage, there's like this weird frame picture of my dad and my mom in the nineties at a horse race at, at like the track in New Jersey at the Meadowlands. Uh and the horse that won, and they're all like everyone looks like they're on cocaine in the picture. They're, they weren't, but that's just how photos look back then. And the name of the the horse that run, the, the, this guy that they were friends with owned like four horses and they were named Get Your Motor Running. Head out on the highway, looking for adventure. It was basically that song, oh but God. broken down to the lyrics. And so the announcers had to yell at that. And that one of those horses won that day. And they're all just standing there, like they all won some money. And it just says, "Get your motor and run." <laughs> That's awesome. Underneath the horse. So, so great. Really weird thing to name something that doesn't have a motor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, I used to name all of my horses and come up with elaborate backstories for them, but now I'm creatively bankrupt, so now I name them all Epona. Um, <laughs> no, I now since Breath of the Wild, actually, because there was a week where we all decided to name our horses Zach, yep. uh, Zach Ryan, I now name my, my horses and other NPCs after friends. Great horse yeah. name. Uh-huh. So as I go... Mm-hmm. But yeah, Zach is a pretty good. That is person. really. Good Will you ride me across the desert one day, one day, Jonathan? Anytime, Jared. Excellent. All right, this is a family show. Keep it clean. Um, no, we. Uh, I, I don't really. I, I do the thing with game characters where I'm like, I'm just sort of like throw away. Like I'll be like, um, Didinger or something. Like I just make up some gibberish name and then I forget that I did that. And yeah. then it'll be like, oh, your character was named this. I'm like, ooh, that's not a good name. It's very bad. And it's never anything like overly lewd. It's just odd. It's like mm-hmm. a you know like a stupid Ren and Stimpy name or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I want to name the horses. I feel like I'm probably going to wind up wrecking some of those horses in that in that game. So I don't I don't know if they should have if they should have names. Uh, Chris Woodside said, "Will Red Dead Redemption Two bring back the heist gameplay feature that we saw in GTA Five? I God, would I say hope so. almost definitely. Yes, I hope so. Yes, this is a game with trains, and there will be heists. John Ryan, uh, who's on uh, Red Dead Radio fairly frequently, uh, keeps hoping for a riverboat heist. He's hoping that wrecked riverboat we see toward the end of Red Dead One Ooh. that we have a situation where it goes out on the river and there's a poker tournament, Maverick style on board, and you can approach the heist different ways. Maybe you're robbing the tournament, maybe you're playing in the tournament, but it ends with the boat like crashing and burning there. And there's a that I, I, love, I love that, that idea. Yeah. That sounds amazing. I hope so. Also, like that's one of those things that I think to sort of to have it in your head like ah like a riverboat that's easy enough in a video game but it's like you that means that it's part of the level that is going through the level mm-hmm. like i always think about the uh the train sequence in uncharted 2 and how like just how insane that whole that yeah. whole setup is and how like i don't i don't make games i don't know how yeah. they did that you're building your own ecosystem with inside another yep. ecosystem yep. Yep. yeah and with a, i mean with a riverboat it's that but even worse because like theoretically you can go underneath it i don't know <laughs> the call is coming from inside the house that's true 
Um, Becky Flossie Atkinson and Johnny Muhammad, do you think we will get single player DLC? Will it go the way of Undead Nightmare or more like GTA 5 with tons of online content? I don't know what happened with the GTA uh, single player DLC for 5. We heard it was happening. We know people that did VO for it. It just didn't come out. I think there's still a website that is their GTA 5 single player DLC out and it's just like no. No. It just says that. <laughs> but I mean, I feel like a short obvious answer in my mind is that online made so much money yeah. and it became such a popular thing. Yeah. Um, I honestly I'm, I'm with you. I don't I don't see it happening for Red Dead. Um that said, I hope the story is strong enough that it doesn't really leave us wanting for more, you know? There's a lot of different things that could have happened. I don't know the inside story. I do remember that when online launched, it was very problematic. They might have had to throw resources at that that forced them to re redo their priorities. And then they looked at what they were making and said, well, now it's not worth it. I, I really do think they meant to, to see that through and it just didn't come together. I could see it happening. I don't think it'll be a priority unless it's a creative priority. That, that company really does just sometimes do things because they want to. Mm -hmm. um, if somebody inside's passionate enough about it, it might still happen, but there's not much of an economic argument for it. And I do think Undead Nightmare will be DLC, absolutely. Yeah. Or, yeah. pardon me, not DLC, will be online. Part of online. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. it won't be there at launch, though. Yeah. Oh, Mix. right, online? No. No, I think, um, no you Undead save, Nightmare. You save Undead Nightmare for a year out, yeah. at do least. Do you think online will be there day one? No. I think you release the game and you release online right before Christmas. Because it was day, was it day two on, on five? GTA 5, was that like a week later? No, that was like a solid month. Yeah, it was several was it, oh, weeks later. Well, no, I mean, it was there. It was like kind of a shell of itself. There was that weird glitchy version where everyone was just kind of standing there. No, but they were, I mean, it definitely took them a minute to get it nailed down. But yeah. like, they were like, these are two separate games. Like, there's right, GTA right, right, 5 right. and there's GTA Online. And they were like, hey, while you're waiting to play online, just play our game. We made it. Yeah, yeah. I, think, game. I think IGN reviewed those vehicles separately affected. I don't remember. So I uh, imagine we'll do that here too. But they did take a while between them. I do think, John and I have talked about this, uh, they have to choose between having everybody working over Christmas or not. Mm -hmm. I think that the argument inside the company, even though everybody's going to be very tired, obviously, after releasing a major game, is that there's so much money to be made having online working through the holidays. Mm -hmm. And they can't possibly understaff after what happened with GTA Online's launch. Right. You've got to make sure there's people there. So I suspect they're already planning to bite the bullet through the holidays on this and have a plan laid out for that. Sweet. Jared, you are very informed when it comes to Red Dead stuff, and that's uh, great because you have an entire Red Dead podcast. We mentioned it. Where can people find that? It's called uh, Red Dead Radio. Uh, we bring guests on every week to talk about different parts of Red Dead Redemption, playing through that game, talking about Red Dead Redemption 2 news, mm -hmm. and also the movies, games, and other things that feed into that. I was on that show with you, and we talked about the difference between Red Dead and GTA being similar to the difference between West Coast and East Coast hip-hop. And I think that was a fun episode. It was. So that's, yeah, the show goes places. It goes a little esoteric. Uh, it goes a little fun. We read a lot of your mail. It's a good show. It is. I'm proud of it. Uh, it's a good show, and it's getting better. Um, I'm running through the 12th episodes filmed and going to go up this week, and then uh, we're going to keep on schedule, but there's a lot I want to retool uh, because at this point it's been kind of slipshod, duct taped together, and I'm like, okay, I have some idea how to run this now, so ready to move into... This is Marvel... Universe Phase 2. Okay. Uh, use that theme song I gave you yet? Uh, oh, yeah. I've oh. used that theme song you gave me in every episode. Hell yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Brian, I'm sorry. I should have Go get that, that theme here. song on YouTube.com slash Weird Heat. Where do people, a, where do people a, get Red Dead Radio? We're in a good spot for this. Um, I am right on the cusp of this being at the place where I could sell ads against it which changes Good. my future because it's what I do for a living now. Is where, make could, where can people find this? They can go to reddeadradio.com uh, to support it on Patreon. They can find it on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, uh, at all, etc., yeah. and download it in all those places. And if they'll go subscribe, if the people 
listening to this do that? Please I do can, that. I can make it. I'm right on the edge. Uh, so please, if you like this, I think you'll like the show. Mm-hmm. Cool. And you can catch us on other shows that we do here. Uh, Brian and I do uh, Up at Noon every Thursday, except for this Thursday and probably next Thursday because I'm getting married. Uh, and then, uh, I don't know, you do uh, Nintendo Voice Chat, which yep. Jonathan shows up on here and there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can find us all on Twitter. I'm Max Scoville. Uh, Jared is Petty, Jared. Brian is Agent Bizzle, and Jonathan is J.M. Dornbush. Uh, this week is going to get very messy because I'm going down to San Diego for Comic-Con. If you're there and you see me, say hello. And if not, watch us online and stream the whole thing. Uh, and is that is that the end of the show? Is that everything? The end? We did it. We did wow. It, yeah. We did it. We did it. Yeah. We, made, we, we did it. We did a show? We did it. We did it. We made it. Beyond. Beyond. I miss you. Beyond. 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 Beyond.